Mamahan Ko, previously known as the Reclaiming Filipinx podcast show. Today on the podcast, I'm so excited to introduce to you our sixth guest on season six. Scholar, activist, future psychologist, we have Edwin Carlos, pronouns he, him, his, is a second generation Filipino-American currently residing on Duwamish land in Renton, Washington. Born in the east coast of Florida and raised in Hawaii for 12 years, Edwin began his Filipino-American journey during undergrad and is continuing that as he pursues a doctoral degree in the School of Psychology at UC Berkeley and also by serving as a chairperson for the NC PASO, also known as Northern California Filipinax American Student Alliance, and an intern at the Bulletin Center. Edwin does research on ethnic racial identity attitudes in Filipinax American communities, as well as participatory action research with Filipinax workers and caregivers and Filipinax studies curriculum in K-12 and college. On the side, Edwin is also an avid fan of video games, singing, basketball, tennis, and cooking. Well, you got me there. Edwin is someone who is a well-rounded and multidisciplinary person that I am so ex- I'm so glad that I have met this recent year. And being so that he moved to Hawaii at a young age. He has also immersed himself with the culture and had that of the land. Without further ado, and to keep this intro a bit shorter than usual, let's just get into the podcast. Without further ado, I really am really excited to continuing this conversation and getting to know a little bit about your narrative because I feel like, in all honesty, like when it comes to learning about our individual history, there's so much power in sharing our voices. And with that said, um, can I have you introduce yourself, your name? major profession, gender pronouns, and if you could describe yourself in a Filipino dish, cuisine, or dessert, what would it be and why? Yeah, thank you so much for having me again and super excited to continue this conversation. So my name is Edwin, I use he, him pronouns, and I'm a first year doctoral student in school psychology right now at UC Berkeley. And the food that I would describe myself is um, sinigang na baboy. And this is because it really exemplifies the, the warmth that I hope to give off and the warmth that I feel from my family. And it just always gives me a lot of comfort. I was about to say before, thank you for letting me know. Because um, you mentioned, like, off camera, you said it's just sinigang, but now you said sinigang na baboy. Is there a particular reason why... Um, is that something that your grandma, your mom, or your family members made uh, to you growing up and it just gave you that warmth? Yeah, I think it's because my family would make that the most. And I was a very uh, finicky little kid. I hated eating things with lots of bones. And so sinigang ng bangos, or like even like with chicken, um, it was like I was such a picky eater that it had to be very easy for me to eat off the bone and so um pork was the best way for me to do that and so my parents made sure to make more sinigang na baboy because of this little spoiled kid great way to <laughs> and I, I think also <laughs> when it comes to um just sinigang in general like for me like i i prefer bungos or any fish because it's just it gives more of that sour and I feel like to you, like, just knowing of you, like, what I know of you now, I kind of see the resemblance of the synagogue, or, like, the meat version. 
And with that said, I will transition into asking, how was it like for you growing up with your family, um, especially growing up in a multi-generational house? My family, my parents, and actually for a time, my uh, Lolo and Lola on my mother's side, my nanai's side, were living with us in Hawaii, uh, Eva by Gentry. I remember my parents talking a lot about when those houses were first being built, there was a lottery for if you like apply to like live in those homes. And my parents were able to get a house from that lottery and we had a place. I remember it's still on um, Makalea Street in Eva by Gentry, like really close to the Eva Town Center. And living with my family, it was a very busy household with all of the uh, activities my brother and sister and me and I were up to when my Lolo and Lola were living with us. They at the time they were trying to get their U.S. citizenship, and um, I think the rule was that they had to have had to live in the United States for at least ten years, and so that was what they were trying to do so that they could stay in the United States and live with my parents longer. And I know at that time it was it was a difficult time like financially for our family. And it was also difficult for a family in the Philippines. We had a few uh, family members pass away that really brought my Lola and Lola to be homesick for the Philippines and found that uh, it wasn't worth it to get their U.S. citizenship if they could go back home and they could be with the people that they uh, really grew up with and like the rest of the, our family. So yeah, my parents' side of the family is the only side that's in the uh, United States. And so after um, my uh, uncle, my, my Tito Nomer passed away, uh, my grandparents decided to move back to the Philippines, leaving me, my brother, my sister, and my parents back in our household. That was a really, that was just a really interesting time. That was actually around the time that I was very into learning about military history, World War II and the Philippine-American War. I, I loved, like, as, like, young boys, maybe at the time, loved, were, like, Call of Duty. And so it was a very weird way to start to learn about my own history and to also see how my brother and sister and my parents reacted to me loving those games. It maybe makes me think a lot about how all those times um, my parents would try to take me away from playing those games to go play tennis was... I really did not want to to leave from like the books or like the uh, VCR, like the DVD videos of like the military occupation of the Philippines. And so, yeah, uh, I might go into some things I'll talk more about later, but how much that um, military history and uh, family uh, history plays into things um, was a big part of how uh, we lived together in the um, in Hawaii. Definitely. In- Thank you for bringing up, especially because when it comes to thinking about like growing up in Hawaii, like acknowledging that Hawaii is surrounded by military bases and you could um, really like see the parallel between how from one U.S. colony to another, how Hawaii is still trying to be able to resist all of anything military control, um, especially with what is ha- what what has happened to the Philippines and that's something that when it comes to like just talking about like growing up as a Filipino in Hawaii it's important to acknowledge that the parallel history the parallel complicated history of both of them so thank you for sharing about that and I also mm-hmm. wanted to acknowledge of especially of your growing up experience how closely knit you are with your family and with anything that you do your family always always comes with it and it kind of creates this sense of fun and understanding and a sense of like guidance especially because you did mention of how closely you are with your sister and how she was kind of the I guess pioneer to help you know that you are interest in learning and education Mm -hmm, definitely and with that saying is i wanted to also 
dive into of how do you how would you see yourself with your cultural identity before and now especially since you have an experience that i believe that helped shape you to be who you are today mm-hmm. yeah thanks for that question i think i'll start by sharing that i it took a while before i start to started to see my cultural identity as being uh forever intertwined with my own political identity and that yeah, that understanding didn't happen until going into college but before um my cultural identity was kind of the um kind of the typical ish film experience of lots of family gatherings celebrations over food and during um like religious holidays and having lots of um family friends over that I would call Tito and Tita that weren't my Tito and Tita biologically and just constantly being around the sound of uh Filipino language uh when I was Tagalog or Visayan and I think all of that made me feel like I was in my home base throughout a lot of my time in Hawaii and even as I um I remembered even in middle school the idea of a um, Filipino identity was something i was so interesting to me and wanted to bring people together of that identity i tried to make a filipino club in my middle school um i like create it was a whole like application process uh, i remember i smelled i spelled filipino wrong with um a p a p n and h um my homeroom teacher um told me about that and i was like oh okay i'll just fix that up And then we just had one club meeting where um I didn't really know what was going on and so there was just this interest in engaging with that identity more with uh, people other than my family and my family friends that um was part of what made it so difficult for when I moved over to uh Washington state uh when I was when I was 13 it was the middle of my 8th grade year and Um I remember that at that time I was starting to learn more about the history of uh, imperialism and colonization of Hawaii and how um enthralled I was to the point where I I didn't have to go go to school um for the rest of that 8th grade year because um in Washington Washington state their school year didn't start until much later I believe it was until like September and so throughout that August to September month I did not have to go to school at all because I would be starting in 8th grade all over again anyway um but I still went because I I really loved this social studies teacher and learning about um this history and so that was um something I kept with me throughout my time in middle school and high school up in Kirkland at that in Bellevue Washington where it became very hyper focused on tennis and academics um that I kind of lost sight of that it of that interest in like um imperialism and colonialism in whatever fashion whether that was in military history or in the oppressiveness of that kind of um uh political act in other countries and places and that kind of intertwining of political and cultural identity that I mentioned earlier started to happen a bit more as i started to volunteer with um i guess you could say like the seattle area has like um kind of this like connotation with like like liberal hippie culture and that was kind of a way for me to learn more about what like politics was and um i started to get involved with a few um few very old and very white organizations involved with social justice throughout like the past 100 years even like they had um people who were involved with the anti-war movement during the Vietnam war the civil rights movements and uh, also people involved in trying to figure out the Israel and Palestine conflict and um this organization even said that they had like people like um Gandhi and Martin Luther King involved with their org since like its history and so it was a very fruitful space to get a sense of what my political identity was and to start to learn about things like 
Kingian nonviolence, um, nonviolent communication, and um, what um, nonviolent change and protests looked like um, throughout history. And that was actually just a really powerful space to have been a part of, especially as they started to get more youth and youth of color involved to bring their perspective into that um, historically white space. But throughout all of that, I just felt kind of lost still. I um, didn't really have an anchoring point to base my um, political identity off of. And little did I know that that had to happen once my cultural identity started to come into fruition, that I started to see the issues of imperialism and colonialism, not through a military history lens, but from the people's lens, from the masses of uh, Filipinos who would talk about the uh, issues of imperialism and colonialism throughout history and today in the Philippines. And as I started to connect that with my own identity and my family's identity, um, my mom being a nurse and having the opportunity to leave the Philippines and um, my starting to see also how much my parents had a big class divide in their families and the differences in how I understand and how I know of my mom's background versus my dad's background because of that class divide. It all started to make more sense and how I understood that my identity was um, not just um, the, the food that I ate or the, um, the dances that I saw people perform. It was something that was very much intertwined with all of the, the history of imperialism and colonialism in ways that made it more, not necessarily more meaningful, but in a way that felt more connected to what I was experiencing in my own life. Well, I just wanted to add on, like, and like maybe you continue to elaborate on it, is that like when you were like mentioning about like when it comes to the how your identity was formed um you learned so much not only from what you hear and saw what you hear and see in the media but it's you're taking that initiative to just knowing about your family and then standing also with the people around you and the community and just continuing to not only like uplift yourself but also uplift with the community and just knowing that Although we might have we we have a complex complex history that's intertwined with so much um, trauma, trauma, um, a lot of things that just we're trying to figure out till this day. It shows a lot of the passion and like the work that you are currently doing now is just that you continue wanting to make it better. Yeah, definitely. It's it's not only seeing that complicated and nuanced history, but also to see where we can see our communities thrive in the face of that um, oppression. And yeah, like how much we can uplift that part of ourselves even more through our collective um, struggle and collective um, building together. And moving into like now with the work that you're doing, like how, how, can, how, do, how do you see your cultural identity um, now? since you did explain how all of the chain of events that leads to your current state as of moment as of the moment yeah that's a good question i think now with how i see my cultural identity it's very much as i mentioned very much very much tied to my political identity and that's something i i never want to change it's so important that I understand that my cultural identity is extremely rich in its history and extremely rich in how also how culture itself is constantly being changed and its culture is itself very dynamic and that's the one thing I sometimes have issue with when people want to say that there are people who are more Filipino than others or to tell you that you're not Filipino enough. And um, that in itself is really violent when I think about it. It's also perpetuating a lot of the violence that has been done onto people because of uh, white supremacy and going even back into the history of the United States, how um, 
that like not enough of your like cultural or ethnic or racial identity was a means to oppress black people and mixed race black people into uh, not having citizenship or not having voting rights in the United States. And so it's interesting to think about it as a replication of white supremacy to tell other Filipino people that they're not Filipino enough. And um, so that, that's all to say, it's really important to me that I do connect my culture and political identity together. And today what I hope to be able to do with that is to, is to be able to share that with other people and to be able to help raise that level of critical that, that critical lens to people that they may they might understand that them understand that within themselves more as well. I think one of the most valuable things about ethnic studies and these types of philam spaces are that it helps to build critical thinking skills by providing counter histories to what we learned about in the classroom, uh, typically, and how they are crucial to being able to understand our own history and identity more critically. And so that's my hope in my uh, future endeavors that I, um, as a school psychologist and just as a uh, Filipino American trying to work in organizations to build this consciousness and criticalness of those around me is to really sector that in a lot of conversations. Um, and as um, you mentioned a little bit before around mental health as well and how we raise critical consciousness around that and what ways we can connect that to our political, our historical, and our cultural identities. And so, yeah, I think all in all, that's what I'm hoping to, I'm trying to bring myself, bring within myself into a lot of my work and academia itself and my role there is a whole other like bucket. But okay. I think in my everyday life in the organizations, this is how I'm seeing myself. Thank you so much for sharing with that and elaborating and with all of the good things that being able to reflect on our our sense of cultural identity, there is a sense of struggle that came with it. And I wanted to personally ask what and how did you struggle in embracing your sense of cultural identity? Yeah, that's a really good question, I think. My struggles in claiming and um, holding this identity came from, a lot of it was indifference now that I reflect on it. It was even indifference when I lived in Hawaii because it was a given that I was Filipino because I was around a lot of Filipinos and I engaged a lot of Filipino things. And even moving over to Washington state, it was very, much like forgetting about it because there was nothing that made me think about it more other than that it was different from the one people around me and as our family moved around more and i was around more white people and more east asian people it wasn't um wasn't really even something to claim at that point it was something that was there that described me and that at times made me feel like i was different and I, I'm reflecting more also on how much I almost rejected my Filipino identity in ways that involves food, actually, and how much this is actually something I'm starting to think a lot more about the kind of clash in how food is um, thought about in like American cultures versus Filipino cultures and and you, you might might know that feeling of like family wanting to eat, want you to eat, wanting you to eat more, but then also commenting on your like body shape or that you should work out more um, and other things that make it such a such a like I guess toxic kind of environment. Um, and so that in itself made me really reject a lot of the times like eating Filipino food going through middle and high school and preferring that we ate out or had American food. And uh, even when I got to eat like my favorite foods like sinigang, it would be in a lot of like moderation. And that was something I thought was just such a, 
such a violent thing, like a, such a such a deprivation that happened uh, for me at that time. It, it really led to a lot of, honestly, some disordered eating at the time too, when I was getting involved with sports and athletics and wanting to be faster and all these things. And so it was difficult even thinking through that as I went through college and as I started to think more about what food really meant to me and how much love and joy is put into that with my family and particularly and I think about with my dad and so this is something I hold with me a lot that I'm the only person in my family that in my whole like lineage it doesn't know like Tagalog or Filipino language and the only person that's been born in the United States my brother and sister are both born in the Philippines and so it just it's so crazy to me to think back at how my this whole lineage of people born and raised and I'm the first one that's really feeling the effect of um, this influence of imperialism and globalization. And because of that, my uh, my language barrier with my dad is um, a little bit, it, it makes it so we don't have as many strong uh, or very deep conversations about identity or about our families and history. But the way, and he's not a very, he's kind of like a macho man, so he doesn't like to show love and things like hugs or like physical touch or anything. But he, he really loves to cook. And he really loves to, he loves the acts of service of uh, being a parent. It just makes me sad to think back to high school and how much I rejected a lot of that and wish that he was more of a dad that gave me hugs or said he loved me. And now, like, even now during the pandemic, being at home, it's been such a, such a wonderful time to understand and see that more and to enjoy the food that he makes and how much of that in itself is a reflection of my cultural identity, not just the food that I ate, but who made it and how I've accepted it and how I enjoy it. And so, yeah, it, it's it all like, that's the deep, that's how like deep like that my connection with food has become. And it makes me really want to explore that more with people and how they might think of food for themselves and with their family. And so that's kind of what I, I struggled with, with my cultural identity and regards to food. And now I think I've come to a place where I'm starting to, and I'm really embracing it a lot more for that, the love that's imparted with it. Honestly, like with all of the deep reflection that we've been like having through this conversation is that I think also to bring up, I just why like every time, like I would ask someone like what food resembles your personality, because you, you said the answers right there. There's something about food that really brings out who we are. And it gives us a sense of our, the food that we resemble as is kind of relating to how we kind of were brought up and i i really appreciate it that you brought up the the mention of like how food is being kind of like shown especially with how being represented because i feel like most of the time when it comes to filipino food and you did a really great way of explaining it already but like for my main takeaways from you is that Food is more than just what we kind of like already know of. And like what you just said, like, I think when it comes to like diving into Filipino foods, like what we initially associate is like it's greasy, it's oily, and like a lot of the health, um, the health that comes with it. And I think also like when it also comes to food is like what you, what you said, like all the toxic things that comes like because our family and how they would make like instant regards and comments like you're not eating you're eating too much and mm-hmm. all of these things and i think when it comes to just food itself like if we kind of like reframe some of this like conversation in a way of saying like food is a way of not only bringing us together but it's a way that it passes down recipes from our family um recipes from your dad and it kind of like gives this like it's still it kind of like moves away from how we kind of negatively perceive it. Mm-hmm. 100%, yeah. It's, it's so interesting to think also in how much how much I think of food in American cultures as something either to overindulge or to eat quickly so I can move on to the um, task or the school or the class I have to do. And like nowadays, I'm trying to intentionally spend time enjoying the food, especially if it's made by my family to really feel that 
that love. And also you'll start to see it as, you know, that feeling of you're not eating enough or eating too much. It's, it's a very interesting look at how this perception of like um, scarcity and abundance kind of looks like, or like it's or scarcity and overindulgence. And I, I hope I'm hoping to find this place where the, we can get into that middle ground of just abundance where we have enough and we're able to enjoy and we're able to be healthy. And that kind of that clash, even with my parents of my dad experiencing a lot of times of scarcity and not having enough with food, my mom um, experiencing on the other end. It's it's just really telling also of just the colonial history of like being told we're not enough or not good enough as uh, Filipinos compared to the Spanish or to the Americans and um, being too much in, I don't know what this might be. It might be in like the Philippine Americanness of it in the uh, indulgence or the ability to uh, um, experience the Americanness of things and uh, indulgent ways. And so, yeah, it's, I, I love talking about food and I'm like thinking more brain cells on it. And so thanks for um, sparking this in me. No, no worries. And I think like, right when we like continue, like before I get sidetracked, but just wanted to mention this. And I feel like when it comes to just like what you brought up is that that is exactly right. Like in American culture, like this concept of like eating fast and then in like Western culture, like Chinese, in the East Asian cultures and Southeast Asian, like they have this kind of like mindset of like, let's, let's take our time to eat. Let's talk. No, not talk, but let's eat and like really take the time and moment to just enjoy our food. Mm -hmm. That kind of tells you the growing up and especially with how many of our especially your parents and your siblings who are, who came to um, America um, as being a children of immigrant, you kind of, and being someone who was born here as a second gen, like you see that, you kind of see this two different worlds of, I know, I know and now feel of what they went through. And I'm here to kind of like help reframe their situation and make it better mm-hmm, definitely thank you for thank you for sharing that and for kind of thinking through those things and to transition along with that is what does it mean for you to reclaim your filipino identity so this is um a really good question it it again makes me think about how i reframe that history of imperialism and colonialism to not just be uh, thought of in a deficit mindset. And you might remember this question I asked um, Dr. David at the Below Sun Center talk he gave regarding how we might reframe the colonial mentality uh, construct into um, a strength-based approach or a positive orientation. And I think it's very interesting to, to think about that. Like, why do we want to think of this like oppressive history in a positive way? And it's like not in the way that like it sounds in which like we want to say that colonialism was a good thing because it wasn't, but it adds more to how we as a community and as a culture come together in the face of these issues and struggles where we can find abundance together when we were told that it doesn't exist or that we were made to believe that we had to stay individual in order to experience the abundance of money or overindulgence of property or things like that. And so for me, it's trying to, in reclaiming my Philippine identity, it's to figure out how to elicit that kind of thinking around how how to think about colonial that colonial history and how to make it a strength or how to make it something that makes you want to act in community together or with those around you. And so this is kind of related to like the idea of uh, decolonization, though I know it's been used in ways that kind of decenter land back for indigenous folks. And so in that, it's important for me to recognize my settler colonial identity, being Filipino-American and also how 
my settler colonial identity also represented itself in my time in Hawaii as pair my mom was able to move over there and none of my family has any actual Filipino history or like lineage in Hawaii. And so I just wanted to note that as something I, I think a lot about and is important for me and how I ever claim my own Filipino identity because it's helps me recenter how my, my own like lineage and my own background is to the Philippines. And even then, like I can't even say that I am I'm not of a like indigenous background. I am a Tagalog and my family has this background in Manila. And so it makes me think even more past that and how much that centuries of Spanish colonization makes it so. I don't really know where my entire like lineage or background is past my grandparents. And I am not able to understand. I'm now I'm able to see how much the Tagalog people were, um, were one oppressed by the Spanish, but also privileged by the Spanish in comparison to the other um, ethno-linguistic groups in the Philippines and were almost used as a tool for the conquest of the Spanish within the Philippines uh, towards and against other Filipino people. And so it's a recognition of the entire history and also the history that is hope that I hope that will be written moving forward that um, the Filipino community can continue to come together for issues, not only for Filipino Americans, but also for Filipinos in the Philippines, for indigenous peoples in the Philippines. Even um, today, as we mentioned earlier, there's going to be, um, there's been lots of talks and lots of movie, um, lots of movies on the indigenous struggle that the Lumad people face um, in the Philippines. And so these are, those are, those actions and that movement is what it means for me to reclaim my Filipino identity and all in all to make sure that it continues to be in the context of um, supporting indigenous people, land back, and that the land I stand on, the Duwamish land that I stand on is not mine and it will never and it shouldn't be mine. And that is a core part of what it means to see how my Filipino identity is in the context of um, the indigenous struggles here and in the Philippines. I think that was truly a nice way to put it. Um, and I think when it comes to just asking this question alone, it's like, depending on the individual's experience, it differs to everyone. And highlighting how for you being able to experience growing up in the Kanakawi land in Hawaii and also being able to have the sense of understanding of the military history behind Philippines and just with everything that you you have went through like you you have this a sense of like awakening of like why is it really important to not only talk about the issues that surrounds our community but what how can we also kind of create this connection with standing with those in the Philippines who to this day are still struggling trying to fight for what they and truly I I think you when it comes to how you have talked about from the beginning to the middle of our conversation especially in the in the terms of cultural identity and of your growing up upbringings and your struggles it makes sense it truly makes sense what you have brought and how you define what it what it means to reclaim our Filipino identity and I really appreciated that you asked that question during the talk this past Tuesday with Dr. David because I think it was from that moment when you brought it up that it does make sense when it comes to the term colonial mentality like why do we always have to think about like the good things of it like there's where we can actually dive into like the term a little bit deeper and I guess to like um to refresh my memory would you like to um re-say your question <laughs> yeah my my question for Dr. David was on how he thought the colonial mentality 
term could be reframed in terms of a strengths orientation. Um, throughout that talk, he was talking about how researchers should start to think more strengths-based for communities and not like deficit-focused. And I thought that was really interesting because I, I know him primarily from his colonial mentality work, which didn't feel very strengths-based to me. And so that was like years ago. So I was curious of why, of how he's thinking about that now. Mm-hmm. And to be honest, I don't, I don't think he gave a really clear answer. I think it's, it's still a very complicated thing to try to think about colonial mentality, um, not necessarily in a positive light, but um, to reframe the idea into what is, um, what is distinct about Filipino Americans and also what is um, strength-based or where, where is the strength in Filipino American identity. I'm playing around with the idea of um, collective, the collective identity and the collective struggle as a part of the strengths-based orientation of Filipino identity. But that's something I'll be exploring later. And- with that, like the more when you thank you for um seeing your question again because like now it kind of make it it totally goes to what I was like about to say next is that we hear so much in like the books, especially in the brown skin white mind of like colonial mentality is this it focuses a lot of the negative, but why can't we just talk about and reframe it and say with the term colonial mentality, what are the generational strengths that comes with it? So that it not only it not only like always focus on the toxic part, but we can also focus in like there was strengths, there was generational strengths that our ancestor passed down to us. And if we and I know that there this will be studied more, um, but what and like and even if um Dr. David did not provide like a clear kind of like answer to your question I feel like this question is itself kind of highlights the complexity of our identity in general Mm -hmm. definitely I really agree and it kind of also shows that especially with the work that you're doing and and all it it shows how there is going to be changes and highlighting of because you mentioned it previously is that culture is not going to be stagnant culture is always changing it's something that's really new especially in the field of psychology like cultural Mm -hmm. psychology is something that's is always being developed because of how cultural changes like one thing to the next anything can change and I appreciate and really having this like critical moment of like dialogue with you because not only I'm learning so much, but it also gives me the sense of like questions that I never asked. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I really appreciate this conversation. And and to add a little bit to that cultural psychology point, it's, it's really interesting when I think about where cultural psychology is now and how it replicates kind of that stagnantness of culture for the long history of cultural psychology's time and how the idea of culture being dynamic is something still very new to that field of cultural psychology and it's something that I hope will continue to be emphasized that culture is dynamic that we cannot see like Philippine culture simply from the traditions of its of dance or song or Uh, food, that even how we think about dance culture and song is continuously changing. Um, It makes me think about how for uh, Open X Culture Nights, those um, ideas of dance and what they're connected to are constantly changing. And as we're seeing more like student organizations start to focus more on the indigenous issues in the Philippines, how they understand the indigenous dances they might perform at those cultural performances changes a lot more and so yeah just wanted to add that point i love talking about food i love talking about culture and so this kind of brought me to that and with that said and transitioning into the future where do you see yourself in the next 10 years from now and gonna combine this question together but if you were given the opportunity chosen to be a keynote speaker from 
your from your alumni university what would you give to those students pursuing higher ed education thank you for those questions i am excited to answer them so um where i see myself in 10 years right now i'm studying to be a school psychologist and so i, I hope in 10 years that i'll be practicing school psych in schools here in washington state my hope is that i can work in schools with a large Milan population, so I'm hoping in Renton or in Tequila or in South Seattle. And along with that, I, I love teaching and I love research. So uh, I am hoping to be able to also be a part-time lecturer in school psych. In addition to that, I hope to be continuing my work in schools and primarily trying to build uh, ethics studies programs, culturally sustaining and critical studies programs in a K through 12 and maybe even college or uh, college schools. And I hope to also still be involved in organizing in Philam spaces as that's um, going to be one of the main ways I find my collective. It's hard being in an academic program with folks who don't quite understand what Filipino-ness or Filipino culture and identity is. And so the NC PASA space itself was extremely important for me to feel affirmed my identity and my work. And so I hope to be able to continue to work in spaces like that um, in 10 years. And uh, on the question of what I would like to share with folks on my alumni university who are pursuing higher education, I think I would encourage people to be very critical of everything that they learn and to really try to apply what they learn to their own personal context and to see if they make sense or add up or not. Uh, as we were talking about with food, I think food can be such a strong conversation starter for these critical conversations that are um, sometimes stopped at thinking about how, like, yeah, as you mentioned before, how unhealthy or greasy or uh, fatty Filipino food might be. But like, let's like dive into that. Let's think more about like, I thought a lot about how when I would visit the grocery stores in my Lola in the Philippines, the vegetables would be a lot more expensive than going to get fast food or to um, the meat section and so on. And so just even that, like how um, the types of foods that might be available are um, to people is uh, less so than what we would hope um, people be able to eat. And also, again, going to like the colonial histories, like I remember learning a lot about how, uh, I don't know if the Max's is still there in Waipahu. My, my parents love going to that Max's, yeah. so. Um, learning about how um, that, I think the Max's like restaurant corporation was made to serve World War II soldiers fried chicken. And so how that has been, like that becomes like a staple in like my family and to be able to go there for celebrations is like super interesting for me to think about. And then even in the context of food today with lots of folks in the Philippines are in need of support and many have had to lose their jobs or require more food for their families. And so as community pantries have sprung up to support their communities all over the Philippines. It's also been under a lot of attack by how um, different people in the Philippines don't want community pantries to come up and how they support communities, but also, yeah, it's a difficult topic and difficult conversation, but uh, and the whole world of COVID today is making it very difficult to think about how uh, food would look like and how to sustain a lot of families in the Philippines. But. All in all, just that conversation, going back to that question, I think would love to just talk about contradictions and criticalness and to try to bring them into context of things that people well, think about every day. That's a really, that's a really great advice, especially because highlighting again, like when it comes to talking about like this topic, like it's not going to be easy. Like it's one of those moments that you have to really sit down and really reflect on and like ask like those deep, deep analysis questions because it's those tough questions that kind of like will push you into the right direction which is what i see you doing today and with what i see you doing and being involved in this different organization so i appreciate that a lot and i feel like anyone that's listening to your story kind of see of how much with your experiences again like it, it really does add up with everything that you went through. <laughs> yeah, thank you. I, I agree. It definitely makes me, um, I, I still have so many questions about my own identity, but what I am sure about is that I, I'm very proud to be Filipino American 
and that I'm very proud of the people that I get to work with. And I feel very much that level of abundance with family and with um, so many people in my life now after thinking through that the past five years. And like adding on to everything else is that with how I initially actually met you was through your research work of the Filipino American mental health psychology. And I think it was your capstone project. You can correct me if I'm wrong. But it was through that that really engaged me to wanting to reach out to you and wanting to connect with you because um, likewise, um, and sharing a little bit about is that when it comes to mental health, it's something that I've also grown passionate with. And like similar to like you, there was moments in my life where I did not embrace to be Filipino because of how we were kind of like, we learned about it because of the stereotypes growing up in Hawaii. And like, I wanted to ask for you, like what initiated that kind of um, desire in doing the work you're doing with your research? Yeah, thank you so much for asking this. I love talking about this. I, my, yeah, that Philippine American Mental Health Project, it's um, my pre-qualifying paper for my first year of grad school. And so um, there'll be a long line of other similar types of research following that. But I am very happy with this project that um, it focuses on how we understand Filipino uh, cultural identity in a um, scale-based form. And so um, my uh, advisor does a lot of work on ethnic and racial identity developments and the types of attitudes you might have towards our ethnic and racial identities. And he developed a scale that helped to measure ethnic racial identity for um, any, uh, any, any group. And a lot of this research was based on the Black racial identity research um, on the called the cross racial identity scale and then there's all this other stuff I can leave out like the jargony stuff but basically just very interested in how might we understand and measure um, uh, attitudes towards our identities and how might that be helpful in understanding uh, mental health outcomes for our Philippine Americans and so that survey you initially saw was done to explore that um, in Filipino American adult populations. And I included scales relating to colonial mentality, to depression scales, to self-esteem, and to a few on Filipino American organization or ethnic studies uh, participation. And um, all of that is in the hopes of, actually this is what Dr. David talked about in his talk with wanting to figure out if they can use a scale to measure Philippine-American ethnic racial identity. Um, my hope is that this could be a scale that could help us better understand and measure and show how beneficial things like ethnic studies, membership in student organizations is to the mental health outcomes that come from it. Because I, I firmly believe that um, this membership, my, my involvement at NCPASA, my student org and undergrad, that that was what kept got me through and kept me from burning out, that kept me from just drowning in the anxiety of being a student and even drowning as a uh, an anxiety as a student now during the pandemic, and so that's all to say I, I I really want my research on mental health to push forward a lot of the initiatives of the community, and I wanted that to continue to center me in this type of work, even in a program that. I'm not able to share these things with people oftentimes. Quite a lot more for folks to understand what I am trying to explore and share. And so, yeah, I think that's all to save. My mental health research is really focused on how do we support mental health and do these hypotheses of the benefits of things like ethnic studies hold up as we try to measure them in ways that would allow for more funding to come in, that these programs could be um, better funded, and for more people to see that, yes, we do benefit from ethnic studies in ways that aren't just learning about ourselves. We actually can be more of right, ourselves. Right. And 
I think when it comes to also like what you just mentioned is like there is so much like benefits in the integration of ethnic studies and mental health together because it's knowing our history and it's that quote and I know you hear it a lot no history no self it's, it's through that kind of quote that's saying that the more that as we know our history also yeah. not afraid to integrate the mental health psyche with it because it's I feel like they kind of go hand in hand in helping us kind of deconstruct our identity. Mm-hmm. I definitely agree. It, it's super important that we're able to engage with that because schools aren't going to be teaching us those things unless we make them with ethnic studies. It's just it's just so clear to me that these supported so many of my friends and their own mental health. And mental health is part of our own cultural and political identity. And so that's what I hope to be able to share and for more people to see um, in this work. with that said, that is all of the questions that I have for you today. And I just want to say thank you for your time and your patience, honestly, for having to actually have this conversation with you. Because the more that I we talk through this conversation is the more that I learn so much about you and learn more about like the work that you're doing and I initially and I can feel right now of how much of an impact that you will you will create for this future generation that is coming on right now especially because the world is changing and with the work that you're doing with Antipasa and your university you are where you're needed to be in the moment thank you so much for for saying that and thank you so much for having me this was a very very fun conversation and i really appreciate you holding space and with that said i wanted to give you um this last space to share out anything that you would like the community to know about you and and what ways we can support you yeah i i would say say my Research, that research I just mentioned is hoping to be published in the upcoming summer. And my again, my hope is that it will be able to be used to help measure things like the benefit of film organizations or ethics studies. And so look out for that. And I'm very, I was very excited to see the results from that work. And so um, please look out for that. And I, I'll be sure to share that with all the spaces like the Bulosan Center of Nancy Pasta. So I'm sure um, more, a lot of y'all will see it. And um, one other thing uh, I guess I would say is uh, NC Pass has been a really, really wonderful space for me, and I encourage folks to get involved with leadership in their organizations, uh, especially these um, alliances that help to connect student orgs together. Um, and so, yeah, would love to see more folks involved with NC Pasa if anyone's of interest to that. And yeah, finally, just join organizations, just really get involved with FAM orgs. And so anyone who's listening or whatever, encourage you to explore. Those yes. Options. And I also remember that you guys are in your, you're looking for your new successors. So I hope, mm-hmm. I wish for the best for that. And I hope the next leaders for Antipasa for the next school year continue to uphold your guys's, what you guys are currently working in now. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Yeah, I, I have high hopes for the future of NC Pass. Again, yeah, love the space so much. Would love to see it thrive even more. And to end off today's conversation, or not conversation, because we'll continue to converse, but to end this moment right now, I uh, wanted to end with your favorite Filipino phrase and word of the day. Yeah, so it's something on the lines of magpatuloy ka, or just keep going. And I, I remember hearing this from a bunch of uh, organizers and academics that make it so um, our work is never done. And it is our role to continue the work that our ancestors have done, that our communities have done to push for the abundance the, of our community. Very well said and very much fitting with everything that's been happening. And I hope the best endeavors for you. And next time we will continue and have another conversation. So much again. I really appreciate it. And that's a wrap on season six, episode six podcast. Wow. 
the transitional of going from Cami to Edwin's episode, you not only learn a lot, but you kind of get this critical dialogue, especially with having their background said. One thing that I would take away from Edwin's story is how he mentioned that his identity is forever tied to his community and to those who came before him. And that is what makes fully embracing his cultural identity so easy, so safe, and so empowering. And this is something like worth of reflecting because when it comes to our own cultural identity, it takes a lot of being able to getting to know who we are and where our family came from and asking ourselves these critical questions that will help shape and form who we are for the next year. Next episode, we have someone that is much, much more different than the guests that we've been having on the podcast. And I am really fortunate of being able to have her on the podcast. Is She's actually an international student, or she was an international student and has le- lived in Hawaii for five years on a student visa. And being able to have a conversation with her and her experience uh, really helped kind of get to know what it's like being kind of like having that outsider's perspective, especially being born and raised in Manila and just coming to Hawaii for school and being in this kind of paper to say that I'm studying this. But that is for the next episode and I can't wait for y'all to get to know who she is. Feel free to follow us on Instagram at Kasama Hunkel. Support us on Venmo and subscribe to our YouTube channel which new series, new films will be coming up shortly. As always, stay tuned for our GoFundMe page or Kickstarter that we will be putting out there on our Instagram for our future projects. Thanks and bye!